0: This is Restless, a post-mortem on the young, restless and reformed. Welcome back to Restless, and we are here providing future generations an oral history of New Calvinism. I am your host, Matt, and I am joined as always, by Pastor Michael. How are you doing tonight? You
1: know, I'm doing very well for me, it's not night. But uh, it, is, uh, it is a fine day. Yes. And I'm very, very excited to be here and continue this great
0: work. Yes, we are. Do not make us come down from this great work, even even if we are, we are casting from slightly different time zones. Um, you know, I, I was wondering if maybe the reason no one else has moved into this podcasting space yet is because, you know even though we're talking about a movement that may have had its heyday 10 years ago, a lot of its influence and a lot of its people are still around. And I've wondered, do you think that could be why it's been left to us to have this conversation?
1: Yeah, it might be a little bit awkward if you were in this conference circuit and like writing with all of these guys. And then all of a sudden, after it implodes, you start writing a lot more about how everything fell apart and it really wasn't that great of an idea in the first place. And this, this is why we shouldn't have done it. That could make it a little hard for you.
0: Yeah. And, and all the people who didn't like it from the beginning still don't like it. So they're, they don't want to talk about it either. Um, It is interesting, but we are um, actually beginning today in a, a two part series to kind of prove our street cred with new Calvinism. Uh, Michael and I are going to tell you our stories and, you know, just just do that that very evangelical thing, right? Where we we tell our stories um, today and 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 on our next episode. Um, before we do that, I do want to thank everybody for the early support our podcast uh, has found. It's been interesting, um, to say the least. Uh, how seeing people uh, pick it up—I'm sure mostly people we know. Yeah, what do you think about that, Michael? So far, uh, it has
1: been uh, great, great to see the response. Uh, Excited to see if we can push this out a little bit farther, and uh, we do. I mean, according to the uh, statistics that I have no idea how to read right or interpret right, we've got people from many different states uh, and several different countries,
0: so that's pretty cool. That is cool, and hard to know how accurate any of that is, of course. Yeah, I, I have no idea. Um, but yeah, we actually, we do have uh, plans for the podcast going forward. Uh, we'd love to develop this. We'd love to grow with you um, and take you into the journey of post-New Calvinism. And so actually, I know I'm not a person who's very active on social media, as you probably know if you've looked for Michael or I online. The, but I am, I think, I think I fall into the category. I was reading an article the other day about super podcast listeners Like these people that listen a ton. And so what I would say is how I share podcasts that I like or I find helpful is I just send them to someone that I like. So if while you're listening to me right now, I actually just thought of someone I'm going to send the podcast to um, right after we finish recording here. And so if you would just do the same for us, that would, uh, if everybody does that, that'll double our, (laughs) double who's listening. And so we love doing it and we think, uh, we hope they'll enjoy joining us. Do you have a person you can send it to michael
1: uh i've sent it to everybody that i can probably send it to at this point so michael uh, <laughs> michael is our
0: michael is our super spreader event of the of the podcast already so and it's pretty weak it's uh <laughs> so if if we're honest it, it, if we are honest it, it, I'm, I'm certain it's weak but the good news is is that's what you all are here for dear listeners that's so right. we're excited And I'm excited today, because today, Michael will be in the hot seat. We'll be hearing his story, his experiences, his background with the young, restless, and the reformed. And we may even find out if he even knew he was young, restless, and reformed when he was. Michael, how do you feel about joining in to our story time, starting off story time?
1: I'm ready. I'm ready to do it. I'm... uh... You know, I have said before that, you know, I am not someone who was, you know, in the deepest mix of some of these things. I may not be the exact right person for the job, but it did really influence me. And even as I was thinking about it before uh, coming on here, I thought, wow, this is like, this is such a huge part of my uh, growth into maturity in the faith. Mm. Uh, that I really, I really am kind of excited to work through it and uh, talk through it with you all,
0: Michael. Can you take us back to the year when you think you be think you encountered? I just wanna, I wanna paint, I wanna paint some historical background for the the listeners before we get into your story. What year do you think you joined the New Calvinist movement? If we can, if again we're. What does it mean to join? Whatever, right? When did you start coming in contact with with this stuff? When was I officially young and
1: restless and reformed as it was defined? Yeah. Uh, I really, I'm not positive. Uh, as far as I can tell, uh, it was sometime around 2009. 2009. Uh, you know, or the, my first interaction with this stuff was maybe earlier. I'm really not. I don't know that I can uh, work out the exact dates. I don't know if you've had this. Uh, So I'm a husband, obviously, and I'm a father. And as soon as I got married, this happened. And then as soon as I, especially as soon as I had children, this happened where uh, I have so much trouble remembering anything that came before that happened. It was like, okay, life started now and I don't. It, it's very difficult for me to reach back and pull stuff out. I have to really think about it to figure out, okay, did this happen even? When, when was it? Who was there? Uh, what, what are the names of people? I really have difficulty doing that. But as far as I can tell, it was around you know, 2007, 2009. This is when I was really interacting with these ideas and teachings for the first time and then began to you know, uh, read up on all of the
0: blogs and, and all of the, get all of the sermons. Well Michael, for your sake and our listeners, let me jog your memory back to 2009. Um, 2009 was a very good year. The year I believe I became I joined this movement was 2009. Now let the let the hearer understand Michael and I uh, these things happen totally independently. We will not factor into each other's story at this all. Let me bring you back to 2009 then. What was going on in the in the u s and and since I too came in contact with this in two thousand and nine, I will share um in the next episode what was happening in the young restless and reformed in two thousand and nine but but now let's just look at what was going on and and Michael, you can tell me how many of these things you even remember one of these i'm I'm certain you'll remember, and I'll start with that one. Um, Barack Hussein Obama was inaugurated as president in January of 2009. That's right. It was so long ago. I know. You know,
1: I went, so he came to Lacrosse, Wisconsin, uh, during, at some point during the campaign. And I went, I was there, uh, downtown Lacrosse when he wow. was speaking, wow. I was somewhere out in the crowd. I, and it was honestly, it was because I got out of school to do it. Uh, and so that was a great opportunity.
0: Well, Let's, let's, let's throw another one at you that uh, you might not be as prompt to admit. Farmville launched on Facebook in 2009. I cannot remember
1: if I actually did Farmville or not. Uh, I know I did some of those Facebook things, like yep. some of the Facebook games. I remember one with like fish, yep. but I don't think it was Farmville. It was like you had fish in a fish tank and could you know buy and sell and right. do those sorts of things. Do they even have games on Facebook anymore? Is I that still a thing?
0: I don't know. Both of our kids are too young for us to be trying to stop them from doing it, and we're probably we've probably aged out of the uh, target demo of that's right of those things. Um, let me let me throw you in a, a few of the uh, maybe the pop culture things. Uh, this one I can't connect with, but I know was wild was a wild was wildly successful. Glee aired its first episode in fall of two thousand and nine. Wow, that was
1: back then, huh? <laughs> Isn't I don't even think that I've I've. I would not have remembered that was a show until
0: you just said it. Is it I, 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 I think what, again, the reason I'm doing this is it feels like a long time ago. Let me, let me give you one that blew my mind. This is the one that for me felt like it was so long ago. Avatar becomes the highest grossing film of all time, 2009. Wow, that was in 2009. Yep, yep. And, and just to round it out, the Black Eyed Peas, who maybe are still out there, Spent 26 weeks at number one with their song Boom Boom Pow and I've Got a Feeling.
1: I don't even remember what Boom Boom Pow was. <laughs> like, it, I don't know. I don't have a—I could not tell you what that is right now. Uh,
0: but I've Got a Feeling is going to be stuck in my head the rest of the day now. It is a far uh, inferior song to I've Got a Feeling. That is what is—that <laughs> is the case. And so, I yeah, I as I was just looking into this, it it feels like a long time ago. Well, with, with that in the background, Michael, did you—how uh, did, you, did you come into this? Did you grow up in a, in a Reformed setting? How did you come in contact with these things?
1: Yeah, so I did—I I grew up in a Christian home, uh, not a Reformed setting by any means. Uh, I grew up with Christian parents. Uh, they took me to church. We were a part of— a small uh, Evangelical Free Church, part of the EFCA, the Evangelical Free Church of America. Uh, and uh, in evangelical categories, I, uh, quote-unquote, got saved when I was maybe, you know, it was around 2007-ish. Now, like, looking back even now, I still question sometimes, it, what, like, is that really what happened, or was this kind of the moment that I uh, decided to uh, kind of take on my parents' faith for my own, kind of take that step in Christian maturity. I tend to think that it was actually uh, my heart was dead and cold, uh, mm. and I was given a new one. And so, uh, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm really not sure how to work that out. Uh, but I was, uh, you know, it was, it was sometime around 2007, 2008, uh, I was uh, washing dishes at a Bible camp where I had grown up going to and uh, was part of this service team where all we did was kind of clean and clean the bathrooms wash dishes and I remember standing next to this industrial dishwasher doing dishes one night and literally like I cannot explain it more than like I was just standing there and one moment I didn't seem to care at all the next moment all I wanted to do was to know more about God all I wanted to do was to Uh, try to be like christ and i didn't even know what that meant except i i mean i had grown up in the church i had some of these thoughts these ideas but it was all kind of it just came to life that night i read the bible for the first time i just opened a genesis one and i was just like okay i this is what i want to do like i really want to do this and so i just started reading and really have not stopped since then like that's uh that's kind of where it started but i didn't i didn't even know anything about like what uh, Calvinism mm. was, or Reformed theology. I didn't know anything about that uh, until uh, a year or two later. Again, it all kind of mushes together, and so it's difficult to pull it out. But at some point uh, after that, yeah. I was again back at this Bible camp as part of a discipleship program, and I heard some people, uh, some of the leaders of this group, kind of like—they co- call. were probably college-aged mostly, yeah. and then uh, the kind of camp chaplain— were discussing or debating Calvinism versus Arminianism, hmm. and I had never really heard these terms, but I was really interested in what they were talking about. And I asked one of the guys after the fact about it, and I remember talking to him, and he was kind of explaining what Calvinism was to me. And at this point, uh, at this point, when I first heard these ideas, and it was Calvinism as far as like uh, as far as salvation, sure, right. So this was all about five points, uh, doctrines of yes, grace. Yes, that's right. And so he explained that, and I then worked out for him what I thought was the truth about how God's sovereignty and human free will worked out together, and I traced it out on a piece of paper. (gasps) And I can still remember what it looked like. And as I look back, it was literally just open theism. (laughs) It was literally just – you know, God doesn't really – like there's all these possibilities, and he doesn't know what I'm going to choose, and then I choose this one, and he kind of picks that one too, and it's like that's – that's how God's sovereignty plays out oh.
0: in God sovereignly salvation. chooses whatever I sovereignly chose, baby.
1: That's right. But that was really my first uh, introduction into this kind of new world, these new terms and yeah, ideas that yeah. I had never really thought about
0: before. I, I think what's striking, even as, as you begin, these things came into your life at a time where God was working in your life powerfully. Um, yes. I, I, yeah, I, I just find that striking. Yeah, and it wasn't—and
1: I don't know, you know, it all comes together at this point. And I don't know if I first was introduced to some of the kind of young, restless, reformed guys, or if it was more uh, someone like an R.C. Sproul mm. or others like that. I, I don't remember which— of those I was first introduced to. You know, but it, it does seem, I mean, there were around that same time I was first introduced to uh, like C.H. Spurgeon mm. uh, and reading just small bits by him. Or uh, I, I know I read very early on, I read uh, Resolutions of a Saintly Scholar uh, from Jonathan Edwards. Wow. And so things like that were there from very early <laughs> as the Lord was working on me and and helping me to grow. Like those things were very influential early on. Yeah, Uh, But I can't trace if that was before or after I was brought into contact with these uh, kind of young, restless, reformed guys.
0: You certainly are going uh, to—I think you are, at least so far, I think you are describing the journey to reformed theology most New Calvinists wish they could say. Yeah, I was reading Jonathan Edwards, you know, but—and I don't think that's—that's not what you're going to hear from me, but— well, can you tell us a little bit about maybe what moved you from a um a a just a uh, a confessing open theist to uh to to be convinced of <laughs> Which I had no idea of course, by the way.
1: Of course. And if someone had worked it out to me, I'm sure I would have said, Oh, well no, I don't I don't wanna say that. <laughs> I just didn't even have the categories to understand this.
0: Oh prophecy doesn't work anymore? Okay, I guess I'm I'm not I'm not that. Um yeah. but how did you how did you grow to become convinced of these things you were just being exposed to and in Spurgeon, in, in these conversations with these um these these people that were clearly already influenced um by the new Calvinists?
1: So it was a slow it was a slow process. And what I would say is that though I did read some of these, you know, uh, what maybe we would call older Calvinists, mm-hmm. uh, what what really got me interested in these things or like excited about these things and especially as a young evangelical that was what mattered uh that i'd be excited about it that's right uh what really got me interested in those things was the young restless reform guys and so uh, around the same time and i don't i assume it was around like the same year that all of this is happening or within the it within two a two-year period kind of leading up, you know, 2007, 2008, uh, moving into 2009, sometime in there, uh, I was uh, again at this same Bible camp, which was maybe just a hotbed for some of these ideas at this time. And uh, I was working there in some capacity and the program director at the time showed me this video. And this is the first thing that I remember ever seeing from uh, anyone in the new Calvinist movement. And this was a famous rant by Mark Driscoll about tolerance. Oh, all right. And this, so this was uh, Nick Rowan. Nick Rowan, if you're listening, I don't know if you are, but he showed me this. Uh, it all came from that. I'm wow. I'm where I am right now because of Nick Rowan showing me this video. So shout out to Nick. Yep. Uh, the reason I baptize infants now is because you showed me that video. All right. Nick is a cradle Baptist through and through. And so
0: I just wanted to put that in there. So tell us about the video. Yeah. What either what got you excited about it or what what drew you in? So, what drew me in
1: the you know, the excitement factor of it was I had never seen anything like this, right? Like, where like this is a pastor and he is preaching apparently. And I had like this is it's like part comedy routine, part and it's it's hard to remember where I was at uh, and not just look at it through the. You know, lens of what I think now, because obviously there there are serious issues, and we should do a, a restless react video to this uh, this great rant on tolerance by Mark Driscoll, and I I just watched it recently, and I actually do still kind of like parts of it, uh, but it was just exciting, right? It was this this guy who's he's a he's a pastor, but he's just like. Talking like a normal person in some ways, he's connecting with some of these ideas culturally that were, you know, at play in my life and and that were maybe uh, the the ways that uh, I would typically be influenced. Well, he was tapping into those things and he was referring to them. He was speaking very like bluntly and boldly about things too, which uh, just having grown up in evangelicalism, there is a uh, a desire to be soft about things and extra generous, extra kind hmm. and so to have someone just call something out was just interesting to me. Yeah. And and that just sent me down the rabbit hole. Right? So all of a sudden I never I'd never seen anything from this kind of guy before. And then I started, I just looked it up. Okay, I just started to listen to sermon after sermon from Mark Driscoll. And then I started to listen to all these sermons from Matt Chandler. And I had kind of known around that time uh, the name John Piper. And honestly, I never really listened to Piper much at all, at least at that point. I've read, I've read some Piper since. Uh, you know, I've, I've probably listened to more Piper sermons in the last like five years than I did in the first few years when I was listening to untold amounts of these sermons that would be put out, right? And then somehow through there, I found the Gospel Coalition, and uh, I was reading everything that they put out every day. I mean, like everything—this was back when they, you know, they had maybe a few less contributors, but it was like every article that comes out, I'm reading every single day. And every, uh, you know, everything that Tim Challies puts out, I'm reading it every single day. And every time there's a conference involving any of these people— I'm listening to every single one of these lectures that they give. And uh, so that was just like down the rabbit hole. And now I should say at the same time, I am still kind of interested in reading some of these other things, uh, these other, you know, works that I had been kind of, you know, brought to from uh, maybe an older tradition of Calvinism. But uh, I, I, that was not near as exciting. It was not near as fun, right? And so I wanted to just jump right into all of these other things. Right when when you could go and read resolutions of a saintly scholar, or you could listen to Mark Driscoll preach sermon after sermon after sermon from Song of Songs, all about sex, and you're a teenage boy, and you're just like, "Hey, this is a pastor, and so this is good and holy, and you know, I'm just gonna listen to this."
0: As as I believe we said in our pilot episode, Pastor Mark, uh, big fans, love to have you on the show. <laughs> it would be awesome. Um, uh, no, I, I, I think that is that's I think that. I think that a lot of people, I don't know, I I don't know what people's connection with the young restless reform movement is. But I think that is, I think we're, you're, if you're listening, you're hearing the hallmarks of probably things that were, were operative in your life. Um, The, the sermons, um, I think, you know, I don't know if you know this, but we, Maybe I maybe I don't know if I should cut this or not. We might need it just a, a full Mark Driscoll episode. I don't know if you know this, but um, when he talked about preaching, he would say his biggest influence on his preaching was Chris Rock. Um, I don't know if you. I do
1: not remember that.
0: Uh, yeah, he he said it. He said it enough times um, that it's that it. At least used to be on one of his pages. Um, that's hilarious.
1: And actually,
0: like when I just
1: watched this, watching this <laughs> oh. you know, tolerance rant, that's it's so true. There's actually a lot of similarities to a Chris Rock kind of comedy routine.
0: Um, so as you as you start down, as you start down, you start getting these sermons. Perhaps you were doing it on an iPod at that point in in human history. That's right, uh, first gen iPod Touch. That's right. Um what effect did, did all of, did, I mean, and again, it's going to be hard to separate this off from other, because obviously the Lord is working in your life, but it's going to be hard to separate it off. But if you could, what kind of effects does this start having on you? So
1: there was, I mean, there was a lot of good, right? And I want to, I want to make sure to say that. So I, as much as we can laugh and kind of joke about these things now and think, man, some of that was pretty wild, and I would not recommend it now. Uh, The Lord did use it, Mm -hmm. and He was using it. So I was hearing regularly these scriptures being read, you know, with my headphones in. I could have been listening to anything. Right. And I'm listening to some guy read the scripture and then talk about it. Yeah. That's a really good and awesome thing. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and it was through that, you know, there was kind of a... A progression, you know. As I as I'm listening to a lot of these guys, uh, I am when I take in information, and I'm even more this way now than I was, and I didn't really know this about myself then. But this is, I mean, this is when you first can start getting a bunch of this stuff very easily. Right. Uh, a lot of this this information in the form of these audio sermons that are just free online. You can download them and then put them on your iPod. And these but are the guys doing fresh, that. And yeah, yeah,
0: these are the guys doing that too.
1: That's right. They were good at it. Yeah, they knew they knew how to get that material out. And so uh, the the fact that I could get that and listen to it so easily, like that was it was a good stepping stone because I would run out of material because I was just I was getting in so much. And then it would be like, okay, well then I'll find something else. And so I, you know, I I I could find stuff from a uh, Tim Keller. And then I could find stuff from an RC Sproul. And so there was definitely this progression of more and more mature uh, thinking and more and more mature uh, understandings of Scripture. And so that was really helpful as I moved in that direction. Uh, at the same time, you know, uh, because I was a young man, I'm sure that I was absolutely horrible, right? Like, I'm sure that my cage stage Calvinism was just dreadful, mm. and that uh, it, like in that kind of, you know, uh, period of time, I did believe like what these guys are doing is what everyone is supposed to be doing and what all of the church is supposed to be doing. And if you're not, you're not doing it right, and God is not going to bless what you're doing, mm. right? God is not going to bless your church. If you're not doing these really cool, exciting things, if you're not engaging in the arts and starting record labels out of your church and doing all this stuff, like, nobody's going to care, because I thought that I understood all of those things, yeah. because I was a young man, and of course I did, <laughs> you know? Right. Like, of, of course I did. Uh, so that, that definitely was a thing. But again...
0: You were young, you, wanna... you were restless, I was
1: young, restless, and I was starting to become reformed.
0: Yeah, well, bef- before we before we end here, I, I do I do have two more questions I want to ask. You know, you you kind of got to this a little bit already. Do you remember? And and I and I hate to say this, like you were like we were in something that is we left or we broke free of. But do you remember y- y- when you when you left? New Calvinism, if you would say you did?
1: I think maybe I would say that I was never, like, fully in. Or, like, I had Mm. a—I was always kind of straddling the line. Yeah. And that's because uh, I— it was because of these other influences that came in around the same time that I was listening to some of this, that grounded me when otherwise I could have kind of spun way off into it. And, I mean, don't get me wrong. Like there were times that I was like, I have to move to Seattle. Like in order to plant a church and be a pastor someday, like I'm going to, I'm going to move to Seattle. I'm going to do some Acts 29 thing. I'm going to like, this is how I, this is the only way. There were times that I thought this is the only way that I can really do this and do what God wants me to do. Uh, so I had that kind of, of feeling and, and that kind of pressure on me at times. But at the same time that all of this is going on, you know, like I said, uh, listening to these things moved me into others. So I also found uh, just countless hours of free seminary lectures from Reformed Theological Seminary and from Covenant Seminary. And I didn't even know at that time a lot about kind of the Reformed tradition I honestly thought that Covenant was a Lutheran school because I just didn't know—I knew it wasn't just like an evangelical place. Right. Uh, Like, I didn't know what it was, and in my mind at that time, everything else is just other and kind of strange. And so I I had no idea what it was, but it—I mean, it turned out that I was just being uh, reinforced with a, a more historic Reformed understanding of the world and of God and of Scripture, and It was through things like that, as well as, and probably most importantly, I had uh, like actual men in my life who were uh, older godly men who discipled me during this time. Mm. And they put up with the horrible cage stage and they put up with the horrible, like me thinking I know because I heard this Matt Chandler sermon that this is how we should do things or because I watched this this video on the Gospel Coalition that was talking about these different strategies for how the church can grow, that that is how we need to do it. This is what we need to focus on. Uh, And they put up with that kind of stuff, and at the same time helped to slowly kind of, you know, move me in a better direction. I remember uh, once I was at a—I was living with a pastor at the time, and it was right in the mix of all of these things going on. And Uh, He was always kind of pushing me in the direction of much more kind of historic, better thinkers. Read books. Don't just listen to sermons from these guys that are alive. Find books from guys that have been dead for hundreds of years. Do that. And he was always pushing me in that direction. I remember we went to a church that he was uh, preaching at like a Wednesday service once, and uh, they had a little book table in the back. They said we could just pick a book. And they had Charismatic Calvinist by Mark Driscoll. And I thought, oh, that like that's what I want. I'm very interested in that. I was very uh, interested. And instead, uh, he, you know, this guy said, no, like don't get that. Get a better book. I ended up getting Chosen for Life by Sam Storms, who happens to be a charismatic Calvinist, no doubt. Uh, but it was just a treatment on the doctrine of election, and that mm. was far more helpful uh, long term and much more useful for me. And even just that—that's a just a little story to to show. Like I had. Uh, people in my life who were discipling me, who could kind of direct me, not in like a, you know, hey, everything you're listening to is wicked and evil, and so don't do that, but in a way that, hey, this is just a young man, I'm just going to, you know, I'm just going to try to steer that energy and that passion and that zeal in a different direction. And over time, that worked, right? Over time, I was, you know, reading, starting with more R.C. Sproul, J.I. Packer, guys like that, and then jumping much more into some of these older uh, older thinkers, those who have gone long before us, those old Calvinists uh, or older Calvinists—I don't know. <laughs> old old makes it sound bad, doesn't it?
0: Yeah. Well, no doubt we will we will be mining our personal experiences throughout our podcast. But I think we would be remiss if to end each of our stories we didn't we didn't ask this question, Michael. What is the most cage stage or reform reformed cringe thing you can remember doing
1: off the top of my head i can't think of any particular moment i can i can far more remember uh the feeling of many particular moments when i was uh in a heated conversation with somebody uh because i was telling them why what they said was wrong and it probably was, uh, but also uh, like the, I just I feel the the embarrassment now that I probably should have felt for how I handled things then. Yeah. Does
0: that make sense? Your your embarrassment is ten years too late, I guess.
1: <laughs> That's right. I my embarrassment came much much later than the actual embarrassing moment. Yeah. And I do so. I, I do want to just make very clear though. I am very thankful for. Uh, the the things that I learned from a mm-hmm. lot of these thinkers, I still like as much as there was this kind of falling out of people with Mark Driscoll and, and obviously I, I don't know where exactly he is now, except that one of the last things that I saw is, is some posts from him and his new church where they had uh, bring your swimsuit to church day for the kids. And oh. they had a big old water park in the parking lot. And right. so obviously things have gone a different direction than maybe the direction that I've gone. But it was extremely helpful for me. It was a good starting place for me to understand the scripture in a much deeper way. And uh, it really did protect me too in a lot of ways because at the same time, you do have these different thinkers, uh, guys like Rob Bell, who, by the way, at my uh, my Christian high school that I went to, we watched Rob Bell videos in our Bible class. Okay, and this is a little bit before he's gone full bore, you know, uh, love wins and all of that. That came quite a many, quite a few years later. But still, he was saying things that were very much contradictory to Scripture. And I, uh, when I first read uh, Velvet Elvis by Rob Bell, because it was recommended to me by pretty much everyone around me, uh, as far as my peers, uh, I read it. And because I had been listening to people like Mark Driscoll and Matt Chandler and probably some Tim Keller at that point, uh, when I hear Rob Bell saying that uh, orthodoxy should be like a trampoline, not a brick wall, because in a brick wall, if you take out a brick, the wall might not be as sturdy and it might fall down. But in a trampoline, you can take out springs and it can still bounce and it still works.
0: Oh, man. I don't
1: think I would have noticed how horrible that idea is if I had not been listening to these guys. I don't think that I would have picked up uh, Donald Miller's Blue Like Jazz and like had an idea of why it was problematic if I had not at the same time been listening to a lot of these voices. So I really am I I want to stress that though we're going to make fun of a lot of this stuff and we were in it, right? So we're I mean we're just as much making fun of ourselves. We were we were proselytes of this stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, but even though we're going to make fun of it, we're going to call out some of the the problematic elements of the movement. Uh, I really am thankful for how God used it in bringing me into uh, touch with a a fuller biblical understanding of who God is of what the world is like of what sin is, and all of these different aspects of the reformed faith
0: that's a good word. We do want to do clear eyed analysis of this, and we do want to have fun i am I am probably nothing if not sarcastic and i don't know i don't know how positive a trait that is but here is, here is the other reason I think we are doing this show, and the reason I think we can do it with actual clear eyes, because we have gratitude for it, right? I mean, this is how, this is how the Apostle Paul talks, that, that thankfulness can guard your heart and minds, right? If we want to think clearly, we must start with thankfulness for it.
1: Hey, everyone. Thanks so much for listening to Restless. We want you to join us again. Matt is going to share his story on our next episode. Please consider sharing this with somebody. If you know anybody that is still listening to Mark Driscoll, please make sure that they get this podcast.